Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday night. The fast day was just over. And um, let me see if I can take a shot of doing the Aftorah, which um, is being sponsored this week by uh, Gideon Miller from Houston. We had a great visit the other day on Sunday at my house. Exchange gifts. Uh, I came out ahead of the game, and uh, I know that Gideon will join me. We hope that this will be for a foolish limp for Rabbi Rottenberg, who again is uh, still in the ICU in the hospital. He should have a foolish lima. <coughs> so thank you. And now, um, this week, of course, is by Uh I mentioned the other day, and I'll probably do it tomorrow or sometime. I'm planning to be a Scon residence this weekend in uh, the five towns. I'll give you more information about it uh, tomorrow. But uh, I'll be uh, Mirza Shem at the um, Base Medish of Lawrence on Martin Lane. And uh, more information coming. Right now, we're looking at the very famous Torah, where uh, King David's deathbed. He calls his son in. And he, he says a speech of two halves, as we all know. I'm sure I spoke about it last year. I must have. The first half is be from. The second one is kill uh, Yoav and kill, who else? Shem ben and so forth. Give me list. Uh, which is, uh, you know, interesting. And uh, his words about Yoav, we make sure he dies. And then um, and then those are the last words spoken by King David. Which is sort of uh, not the way you would imagine it. You probably figure, you know, you say, Lishu Hashem or something like that. But um, it's Tachlis, you understand? And Tachlis is he's worried about his son taking over after him and not knowing what to do. And one of the things you have to do is kill off anybody that could possibly be a problem, or at least you have to demonstrate that those who mistreated David are punished. You can't have it that somebody can do something bad to a king and get away with it. Because once that happens, once you break the rules, it's like a classroom or anything else, you know, there are rules. Once they see that you can break the rules and get away with it, then it's a, it falls apart. And that, that's how I understand it in the simplest, plain, straightforward way. <laughs> now, here's the funny thing, or interesting thing. We're talking about Shlomo Melch over here, who I consider one of the most uh, enigmatic characters in the Bible, obviously. Because on the one hand, um, Shlomo has this big positive side, and on the other hand, he has a big negative side. On the one hand, he writes, uh, um, he has Nebuah, uh which isn't so easy. And, uh, you know, to, to Mishle and Shirashirim and Koelis and all that business. And on the other hand, there's a Gemara that says that, that Shlomo Melch should have been one of those kings, but David intervened on his behalf. You got to be pretty bad to get in the list of those, like, you know, Yerob and Nevada or something like that. Imagine if Shlomo didn't have the protexia that the Gemara says he had. So you'd say the four kings that. Uh, uh, burning, uh, you know, in Gehenna or something like that. Elam Chelik Olam Haba, Yeram Ben Nevat, Achav, and Shlomo, Shlomo Melch, right? You know, you don't think that way, and uh, it has to do with the fact, I think, that you know it's hard to tell what we're told and what we're now told about Shlomo Melch. Very enigmatic. For example, how how old was Shlomo 
when he became king. The usual way of understanding this is to say he ruled for um, uh, 40 years. Uh, we assume he was 12 when he became king, so he died at the age of 52. Just like Shmuel and Novi, there is a make that point. In which case, he lived a short life, relatively speaking. I, when you read the book of Kohel, it sounds like he's an old man. Right? Kohel sounds like an old man. One of two ways of understanding that. Actually, there are three ways of understanding that. I hope I can remember them. One way is to say like this. Uh, he lived a life very fully so. In other words, let's put it this way. He may have died an old man because of the, the life of... Um, of luxury did he live? You know, indulgence, let's put it that way. The second way is to say, no, he was an old, he wasn't physically old, but he was mentally old, meaning he had the wisdom and the uh, the great sagacity to look at the world through the eyes of a person much older than himself. The third way is, you know, talk Kabbalistically. And in Kabbalah, I, if I remember correctly, they say that he wrote the books, uh, not Mishle, Sherashim, and Kohelis, but uh, Kohelis was written first. In which case, you say, ah, it doesn't make any sense. No, that's a super firm way of saying it. The Shlomo, from a young age, saw the Narishkeit of the Velt. Um, and therefore, he said, Hevel uh, Havolin. And said he was looking for pure Ruchnius. And in his old age, he writes Sherashim, according to the Zohar, I Shirashim is about a young uh, lovers. No, it's about the ecstasy of, of mitzvahs, in which case he only really got the fullness of that when he was older, or at least middle-aged, or something like that. Uh, so it flips the usual way we understand it, because usually you'd say, Shirashim he wrote when he was a young man, Mishli when he was in middle age, and, and Kualos when he was older. But if he's only 52, so I mean, it's not so old, Right? The way he writes over there, it sounds like he's 70, 80, or something like that. Uh, so, you know, I can say it's always been, like, a little bit difficult. And, to tell you the truth, uh, we have no clarity for sure, just opinions, on these dates. The uh, I pulled out my uh, rusty, trusty Seder Olam over here. The good one with the notes from uh, Weinstock, from B'nai Brock. And the Seder Olam is the one who tries to figure all this stuff out. And the Seder Olam has certain mahalach in how to arrange the Pesukim. Because it doesn't tell you too much, you know. It's very difficult. Uh, it seems easy, but it's not. To put together the years of the kings and how long this was and how long someone was when he when, when this happened. So, like, tell me, for example, how old was David when the story of Bathsheba happened, you see? Or how old was David when the story of Amnon and Tamar happened? And it ain't clear. So, the the... the Seder Olam, which is a chazal, have a, a certain way of stringing this stuff together. And according to that, Shlomo was, you know, David Amelk was 58 years old when Shlomo was born. Therefore, he was 12. That's what we all hear, right? Rashi, I think, quotes it in the Sefer Malachim, quoting from the Seder Olam. So, in other words, that would mean that David was uh, about 55, 56 when he first met Bathsheba. Because remember, the first baby died. Get it? So, you know, do the numbers. So he met Bathsheba, let's say it was something like 55 approximately. And um, he got involved with Bathsheba, then she had a baby, and the baby died. So that's at least, that's nine months, a year. You know know what I mean? 
So um, the baby died of face when he was 56. And then it says he consoled his wife. And then the second baby was born. So he was 57, 58. Uh, and the second baby was fine. It says, Hashem said, this is fine. And he called me a deity, and that is Shlom my Melch. So you see how, what I just did? I kind of walked it back. If if he, you know, was, was um, if David died at the age of 70, and Shlomo was 12 at the time he was born, so then you figure it's 58, which means the baby was conceived a little bit earlier. That's coming after the first baby, which died, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the kind of untangling you have to do when you want to figure these things out. And believe me, the Seder realm does do that. Um, now, that means that David, in this week's Torah, when he says, He's talking to a 12-year-old. Okay. Now, obviously, Shlomo Melcha, 12 years old, was not like you and I when we were 12 years old. You're talking about Shlomo Melcha over here. On the other hand, 12 years old is 12 years old. That's the problem we have with the biblical figures. On the one hand, they're not like you and I. On the other hand, they are. So it's very hard to disentangle that. But you don't let one thing get in the way of the other. Uh, at least you try not to. So if he's talking to a 12-year-old in Hanami, he's got to say, And therefore he's got to you know, give him his warnings. It's very interesting the way he talks to him because basically what he says is, number one, I want you to stay from, but I want you to stay from Shalol Lishma, it says. Uh, listen to the language in this week's Haftorah. Uh, I'm going to be gone soon, so you be, have to be Ish. Be sure you're from. So why should you be from? Why should you keep all these mitzvahs? See, so you have a clear cup. You have a clear mind to know what to do. You understand? In other words, if you observe, if you live a from lifestyle, and I don't mean that simply in the cliche sense, but you know, in deep sense, then you will make the right decisions in life as a king. This is the story I remember. I bet you've heard it about the uh, Kleisenberger Rebbe. Uh, I'm not so Hasidic or anything, but my father was with him in the deep end. And, and, and uh, uh, what do you call it? I remember reading the Kleisenberger Rebbe, who was in, in the concentration for about a year, because Hungary, they took the Jews later, you know, starting in March of 44. It was a hell, of course. I'm not, you know, selling it short, but you know, you understand what I mean. So he was approximately a year under the Germans and suffered and all that. And if I remember the story correctly, he told the others in the concentration camp, wherever, you can eat whatever you want because it's Pekuch Nefesh. After all, you're talking about Hitler over here. Uh, but me, myself, and I, he only eat like, you know, kosher food, potato, you know, raw potatoes and things like that. And I think the story went like this. They say, how come you're you're the one passing it for us? It's Pekoch Nevish. It's Pekoch Nevish for you too. And he said something along the following lines. I'm not doing it because I'm a me. I'm doing it for the following reason. You know, if you eat tarfus, even with a heter, so it's matamtim as a lave, which means, therefore, it will mar my judgment. Living under the Germans and having people around me who depend on my advice and leadership Example, so I have to, you know, always make the right decision, the next move, living in concentration camp. And if I have Tim Tamalev, 
if I have my judgment uh, marred by anything or, or uh, you know, what's the right word, sabotaged by anything, I'll make the wrong move. And I think I know what he means. Sometimes the German say, who wants to come with a special work detail? You have to hop. Do they really mean a special work detail? Then maybe it's a good idea. You'll go out of the camp and maybe be in a forest and you can get some nuts and berries and things like that. My father did that, you know, or eat some plants or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, depending on the situation, they say, who wants to come with a work detail might be an excuse to take and shoot you in, a, in, a, in the forest. So you, you get what I'm saying? These things happen b'chol yom, b'chol isa, b'chol shah during the Holocaust. So in order to stay on the ball, I have to just have kosher food so my uh, judgment, you understand, my common sense will be pure, which is very interesting. Uh, for example, I remember, it's so on this book, uh, there's a book about Kleisenberg Rebbe in the war, I, I forget what it's called. I have it in Hebrew, but they also made it in English. Uh, and if I remember, it's, it's something like this that was at the very end of the war. I'll tell you, my father was in the same place. And the Germans marched everybody all over the place called the Death March. Somebody wrote a book recently about it. And uh, they killed lots of people in that Death March. They, they walked them to death and they shot the stragglers and so forth. And uh, uh, I think they were in a, in a railroad car. And at one point, and it was near the end of the war. At one point, the Germans said, come on out. A deliberation is here. And the Jews wanted to get out, naturally. And the Kleisner Rebbe was, was in, the, in the cattle car, you know. He said something like, it's a trick. Don't, don't believe him. He said, he could smell a rat. And uh, sure enough, the ones that went out got shot. But a few days later, they said, come on out, it's the liberation. He said, this is the real thing. And they can't matter, it was the Americans. It was the Americans, you see. So, you know, it was a liberation. You need split-second decision. So that fits in very nicely with our parsha, because stuff is like this. And he's talking to eleven-year-old, a twelve-year-old kid. So you always have the enlightenment. You'll be maskil on everything you do. Basically, so you make the right decisions. So that's that's an interesting piece of wisdom. Now I'm saying that I don't know if a twelve-year-old kid would get that. Even if you're very, very smart, like Shlomo was, maybe, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but then he goes on to say something else. And I want you to do the right thing, so that God will fulfill the the promise, the contract He made with me, saying, "That if your kids stay from, then you'll stay on the throne." Um, they won't be cut off from the throne. Uh, that's Shalolishma. Basically, what he's saying is like this. I'm giving you, 12-year-old kid, a positive reinforcement and a negative reinforcement. The positive reinforcement is you should always know how to that you will live a Torah life 100% and therefore you will make the right decisions in the life. On the other hand, he also says a negative reinforcement. If you don't, then... God's promise to me was only right? only if you follow the Torah 100% 
then I'll have a, 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 an insurance policy. There's a little bit of a problem with this because God actually promised David that even if his descendants would screw up, they still um, would, what do you call it? They still would be on the throne. They still would lose their rights to the throne. But I'm not going to work on that right now. I see when the parallel passage in Divrei Yomim, it says, Atosh Shlomo Bini Das Elohayavicha, Shalim, Ki Kol Hashem, was made into that's a different speech. If you after Hashem, he'll be available to you. If you abandon him, he'll abandon you. That's a different word. Here in, in the book of Malachim, it's more like contractual. You understand? And indeed, Shlomo Melch, I remember when he actually builds a base of Migdash and dedicates it, he makes a whole big part about the fact that he says, this is a David word, this is my dynasty, and it's part of our insurance policy. And, uh, you know, uh, everything is is uh, is being done so that my family should rule Yisrael forever. There's words to that effect. Here it is. Bono Benisi Beis Veloch Mochel Alamim. You know, um, I built you a great house, and this is what you promised of it. It's all in chapter 8. Okay? And, um... But I, I, I um, am dominating over here that, you know, you should keep the promises you made to my family. Um, you know, they say, we did the front part, so you do your part. Now, maybe it's just a pious wish, or... I could also say Pashat. He's talking to a 12-year-old kid. Um, a 12-year-old, even again, if you're a genius like Shlomo, even a 12-year-old, Lishma is not so easy to understand. Because even the person you tell Lishma always is like this. Of course I'm doing Lishma. But I do get Schar, right? <laughs> like that, you know? You understand? It's not like you should do Lishma because there is no Schar. That was the Tzedukim. <laughs> that's the story of uh, Tzadik and Baisis. You, you, you do a Shalosh I mean, you do a Lishma, so that, like there's no Schar. But you say, but like there's no Schar, but there is the Schar there. There is the Schar. So it's a very tricky kind of business. It's not genuinely, it can't be really a philosophical proposition, because really, 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 you know you're going to get the Schar. So it's kind of interesting. And that's me at my age, speculating about that. I was 12 years old, and I'm not comparing myself to, excuse me, to Shlomo, but you get what I'm saying. It's a very interesting uh, conversation over here. Now, I'm assuming that he's 12 years old. And the Seder Olam Taka goes with that. And what happened? Um, it's the, the language is very funny because it says, you know, after this chapter, Shlomo goes and executes all the people on David's hit list. But then, um, then what happens? He starts to work on his big uh, projects, you know. He has that dream, and uh, the two prostitutes, he chopped the baby in half, but then, you know, so he's very smart, and so on and so forth, and then I think it's chapter four, right, um, where he, he, he starts the big project of um, Beis English. but that ain't all, okay, that ain't all, he starts the, the Beis English project, but he also marries Basparo, it's not clear how the order works out, or anything like this. 
after telling you he lived a life of Riley and he had this and that and the other, he was so uh, uh, such a large and splendid court, and you know uh, how much food he had for his household every day and all kind of things like that. Um, but then it says uh, words to the following effect: that um, where is it over here? Uh, I'm reading in the Seder Olam. Um, it says. Which is very interesting. As, ah, there it is, the beginning of chapter 3. I, I went too far. So right after, not right after, but soon after the Haftorah that we read today, which is in Perak Beis, uh, soon after that, so, you know, Shlomo becomes the full king and get, gets rid of all the people that could possibly be troublemakers. You know, Shimi gets killed and Yov gets killed and this one, that one. And then it says... Um, yeah, listen to this. It, it's funny. Listen closely. It's the beginning of Per Gimel. By Yitzchatein, Shlomo is, is, is Paramelch Mitzrayim. Shlomo made a Shidduch which, uh, with, with the princes of Egypt. By Yikach is Bas Paro, which is not a good thing because I'll say it was a terrible day. It's the beginning of Rome and all that. By Yivir David. So he took, you know, her to Yerushalayim. And then in the next pasuk it says, Hashem David Aviv." So, like, how do you square that? On the one hand, he's marrying the boss power, and the other one, you're telling me he loved Hashem, which is a high madrega. Vayeva Hashem is pretty good. If he loved the Lord, that means in Mekan de Krishma, that's easier said than done. So, I have in front of me. Um, I'm just trying to share this with you to show you. How variegated all the Mepharshim are when they try to figure out the chronology connected with Shlomo Melch. Here's one. I'm looking, as I say before, at my edition of the Seder Olam, which is the, uh, I have several of them. This one doesn't have the kudas, but it has, uh, I guess what I would call a kahati type sort of thing. Uh, that's It's a golden oldie, you know, from Weinstock, which is a family of Mechanchem. Oh, this is back, first published in the 60s, I believe, or 50s, I think. Anyway, here's the thing. At the bottom, he has the top. He has the Seder Olam. At the bottom, he has what you call Yemos Olam, which is how he uh, summarizes what the Seder Olam is saying. And I want you to listen to what I'm saying. It says Vayikach is Bas Paro. That's quoting the pasuk. Uh, again, I'm I'm reading from the Yemos Olam. Omer Kilakichas Shlomas Bas Paro Hayse B'Shana Rivis. Okay, so notice Shlomo married Bas Paro in the fourth year of his reign. Let's say he started when he was twelve. So now he's sixteen years old. Pirish Acher Ben Okay? So the way to read the Pesukim, even though it's not exactly in the order you find in the Book of Malachim, is the first he started building a base on Migdosh, and then he married the Basparo, which is strange, because the base of Migdosh is a plus, and the Basparo is a minus. And God was angry at what he did, and therefore he rose two Satans. Now he's going out of order here. This is already like chapter ten or something like that, where it says that after in his old days, Shlomo fell in love with all these Gaisha women, and they led him off the derech, and therefore Hashem raised two enemies against him. But according to the Seder Olam, no, this happened at the beginning when Shlomo was only sixteen years old. As soon as he married Bas Paro, so he had two enemies, Goyim. Number one, Hadad. So in other words, the kingdom of Edom, which had been crushed under Dovin and Yoav now broke away, and Hadad was the 
Edomite prince who survived the massacre perpetrated by Joab, he returned to his country and raised a rebellion. And the idea that the prince of a wiped out people was able to raise a rebellion is Hashem's way of poking Shlomo saying, get rid of this boss power, get rid of this shiksa. And also, Rezun ben Yoda, which is a guy in Syria. So basically, from 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, according to this, Shlomo had no enemies. Everything was going great. And then when he marries his boss, Paro, all of a sudden, there's trouble in the southern part of his empire and trouble in the northern. And also, in addition, I'm reading you most Yisrael. And he also had other trouble from inside, from B'nai Yisrael, at the age of 16. But who you run Ben Nabat Meshavit Naftali? Right? Well, he must mean Shevet Ephraim. He says, Yoram Ben Nabat. Really? Yoram Ben Nabat? So, in other words, the story Yoram Ben Nabat happens when Shlom was really young and uh, 16 years old. For who Harim is Nesa Mary Negat Shlomo or Barcham Israel? And this Yoram Ben Nabat raised a rebellion against Shlomo and fled to uh, to Egypt for safety. So that means that later on, when Shlomo died and Rechavam lost the Malucha to Yeravam, 10, 10 tribes out of 12, this is, it was a, an issue that was only over 35 years old. You understand? It, the roots of it went back long before when Shlomo was only 16. Okay? So uh, that's the way the Seder Olam sees it. Now, the Abarbanel and some others disagree with this. And they say it doesn't make sense that Shlomo was only 12. Uh, and it has to do with how you read the rest of the events in the book of um, Shemuel. Notice when the different things happen in the time of David and Melch. There's references to a three-year famine. There's references to a Magaifa, All those sort of things. It's never clear when this stuff took place. And the Barbanel, for example, you can look on your side, would say, and Shlomo was no 12. Shlomo was about 20. That's a big difference. If that means in this week's Parsha, David and Melch is talking to a 20-year-old, 19 year old, 20 year old, something like that. Uh, in which case, why does he say you're, you become a man? Shlomo was never ruled before. Now it's going to be scary. It's going to be tricky. Um, that's, that's a completely different, uh, you know, mahalach and different story. And when he says over here, you know, make sure you walk on the right derech, I mean, Shlomo's old enough, you know, to, to, to understand. I, in the next chapter, Shlomo says to God, I'm too young to handle all these people, endow me with wisdom. That was an appropriate amount of, um, what's the right word? Appropriate amount of uh, humility, right? Which is a good thing in a king. That was a good thing, which is why God rewarded him with the, with, with the wisdom. But he was no baby, and he was no young guy. In that case, he didn't marry Bas Paro until he was like 23 or 24 years old, which again is a different thing than saying than when he was 16 years old. But either way, you're left with the fact that you have someone who at the same time um, and in some place in Chazal, they say on the same day, he did a big positive thing, did a big negative thing. He started building a base of English. He married Bas Paro. You see, he's pulled in two directions. At least that's what it seems to me, as, as best as I can tell. It's hard to understand somebody who had Ruch HaKodesh, which he did have, he talked to Hashem, you know, that he would be pulled in this way. But you want to know something? It, 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 it's very believable. I'll tell you why I say it's very believable. When you read later on, it said that Shlomo married all these Geisha women, and when God appeared to him and told him, don't do this, he didn't listen. 
Now, that's amazing. You think about Hashem came to you in Nebuah, or at least a reliable Navi, and it was directed to you. Somebody comes like, listen, I got a message, a telegram from upstairs for David Katz in Baltimore. I'd like freak out, wouldn't you? When, if you wouldn't freak out, you're nuts. Right? If it had a name, right? It's David Katz in Baltimore, you know, or Chaim Schwartz in, uh, you know, B'nai Brock. I mean, it's it's scary. Uh, and and yet Shlomo did not listen to him. So what was the message? Get rid of all these Gaisha wives. And Shlomo did not do so. So it's, you see, he's pulled in this way, he's pulled in that way. Maybe that's why David talks to him in our Haftarah the way he does, which is, um, I'm giving you, you know, you're going to Kedarakal Arts, and you should know that your judgment will be messed up if you don't adhere to the restrictions in the Torah. And that is exactly what happened. Shlomo got a Tim maybe not for meeting Trev, a different type of Tim because every Aver is Metamtimus. That's what we believe. That's the mystical idea behind the mitzvahs. Whatever the rational idea is, mystically, if you're doing Aver, in some degree or another, depending on you know the circumstances, is a Timtum. Because it messes up your value, your your abilities to judge. So it's amazing. That means that David Melk is dealing with a ninety-year-old son, and he and David Melk was old and experienced. He was seventy years old, or almost seventy, and he already sees what to watch out for, and what to worry about. And before he even gets around to talking about revenge on Yo of all the rest of it, he says, and make sure Laman Taskil, you know, he's Asher Tasu. Whatever language is over there, uh, because because I don't think you appreciate what the Timtum does. You see what the Timtum does. Plus, we might lose the Malucha. Well, that kind of happened. Meaning, in the one hand, Shlomo ended up doing all these things you're not allowed to do according to the Torah, like too many wives, too much gold and silver, too much the rest of it, which the Medrash Rabbah discusses in detail in. Soon in, in Parshas Va'era, I've done a podcast on that for that I know. Uh, the first of Medrash in, in Va'era. And then on the other hand, um, uh, he, he had all this, uh, you know, tremendous wisdom. And uh, the Chazal said he was the biggest learner in his time. He made um, handles for the Torah, it says, in the Medrash Rabbi in, um, in uh, Shir Shirim. So, in other words, let's put it this way. He revolutionized. I'm serious. I'm not being cliche over here. The Shlomo somehow revolutionized the study of Torah in a positive way. I don't want to say like briskers. You know, let, I'm just using that for example in his in his way. Um, so you had tremendous positive, you had tremendous negative. But what happens when you marry tremendous positive with tremendous negative? Will the will the positive you know overwhelm the negative? Will the negative contaminate the positive? In case of Shlomo the negative end of contaminating a positive, sort of. On the other hand, if this is true, why do we keep anything of his in the Torah regard, regarding him so highly? There you go with the, with the enigma that I said before. There you go with the enigma. So the language that David uses over here, the first you should not use your judgment to get Tim to Malay, and second of all, watch out for number one because you have a good thing going. You don't want to lose it. You realize Shlomo did lose it. Okay? In other words, uh, Hashem says, um, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I'll, re- I'll read the language. When you get to chapter 10, I believe, I have this Mikras Gadol stuff over here, but this is worth it. Um, when he got involved with all these uh, Gaisha women and all that business, so it says, 
Here we go. He made these idols. So God got angry at Shlomo. This is later in his life. At least you think so. According to Seder Olam, maybe it wasn't so much later in his life. God had appeared to him twice. And God told him, in Nevuah, don't do this. And he listened. And Hashem said, uh, Because you didn't listen, I'm going to take the Mluch away from you. The only thing is, I won't do it in your lifetime, and I won't take all 12 tribes. That's the insurance policy he gave David. But in, in, if not for the insurance policy, they would have lost it totally. So um, maybe David discerned this and is worried about this and is doing his best to forestall this in the Haftorah today. Um, anyway, if you're interested at all in what I just said, I would advise you to read the story of Shlomo, which is the first 11 chapters of the Book of Malachim, be Ma'ayin in it, and I think you'll see some contradictory things and therefore very interesting things in regard to Shlomo Malach Yisrael. With that, I want, once again, I want to thank Gideon, and I uh, want to also wish Rabbi Rottenberg Shabbat before Shlomo, that I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.